Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. Democrat pollsters expressing concerns ahead of the midterms. Did the party focus too much on the wrong issues? What do they think Democrats should focus on instead? Florida's race for governor is nearing the finish line. We have the highlights from DeSantis and Christ's first and only debate before the midterms. Supporters of the Safety Act in Illinois say it will create a more just environment when implemented on January 1st. However, an Illinois mayor says it's the most dangerous law he's ever seen. Academic performance is decaying across the U.S. That's according to results from the nation's report card. We hear from an expert on what may be the cause. Several Democrat pollsters are expressing alarm about their party's prospects ahead of the midterm elections. And today's Jessica Beatty has more about their concerns. A number of Democrat pollsters and analysts are expressing concern that their party has focused on the wrong issues ahead of the midterms. Historically, the party of the president tends to lose congressional seats in the midterms. Right now, Democrats control both the House and Senate, but not by much. A Democrat pollster who worked on former President Barack Obama's presidential campaigns told The Hill Monday, a month ago, it looked like not only were the Democrats poised to hold the Senate, the question was, were they going to be able to get two extra seats? Now, I think the hope is just to hang on. One big concern is Democrats have focused too much on abortion and not enough on the economy. Inflation is still near a 40-year high with prices up 8.2% in September. The CEO of a public relations firm told NBC News, in his words, Democrats need to wake up to political reality and focus on inflation and economic anxiety. These are the issues that matter most voters. Republicans have criticized the Biden administration and Democrats for embracing left-wing economic policies. For example, targeting the oil industry and supporting COVID-19-related lockdowns, which forced many businesses to close. But President Biden Monday argued that a GOP victory in the House or Senate would lead to setbacks for American families. Democrats are building a better America for everyone, with an economy that grows from the bottom up and the middle out, where everyone does well. Republicans are doubling down on their mega-mega trickle-down economics that benefits the very wealthy, failed the country before, and will fail it again if they win. However, GOP pollster Ford O'Connell told The Hill Republican candidates only need to focus on two things to stay relevant, money and family. If Republicans do that, he said, they'll win this year and in 2024. He said that's because Democrats don't seem to be changing their approach. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. And speaking of Democrats, President Joe Biden says he's pushing a limit on gun owners having more than, quote, eight bullets in a round. The verbal miscue likely means no more than eight rounds in a magazine of bullets. The restrictions he's seeking are consistent with gun control measures that he and other Democrats have previously pushed. Biden was talking to Now This News and said people doing mass killing have magazines that can hold up to 100 bullets. Later in the interview, Biden also incorrectly claimed that AR-15 rounds travel five times the speed of an ordinary bullet. For years, Biden and fellow Democrats have sought to criminalize what they describe as high-capacity magazines. Legislation introduced last year in the Senate would ban magazines that hold more than 10 rounds, similar to regulations in New York and California. 
Turning now to Florida, Governor Ron DeSantis met his Democratic opponent Charlie Crist on the debate stage last night. The two gubernatorial candidates battled over topics like abortion, illegal immigration, crime, education, and vaccine mandates. NTD's Jeremy Sandberg has more from their first and only debate before midterms. Monday's debate started out fierce and didn't let up. I know that Charlie's interested in talking about 2024 and Joe Biden, but I just want to make things very, very clear. The only worn out old donkey I'm looking to put out to pasture is Charlie Crist. Despite Crist questioning DeSantis repeatedly about whether or not he would commit to a full term if reelected, the incumbent governor did not say if he was going to run for president in 2024. Yes or no, Ron? Will you serve a full four-year term if you're reelected governor of Florida? It's not a tough question. It's a fair question. He won't tell you. Chris is a former congressman who resigned in August this year. He served as Florida's attorney general from 2003 to 2007 and as Florida's governor as a Republican from 2007 to 2011 before switching parties. He dug in on issues like abortion and immigration, ridiculing DeSantis for sending illegal immigrants out of state and accusing him of not wanting to fix the problem. You can change policy and do what's right to secure the border by having comprehensive immigration reform. That's what I voted for in Congress. When you were in Congress, you wouldn't do it because you want to keep this issue alive. You want to have it as a wedge issue and you want to pull political stunts like you did with the taxpayers' dollars of the people of Florida. DeSantis defended his actions, saying the border was in much better shape in January of 2021. It's sad that it comes to this, but what we did put this issue front and center. Uh, I think we need to reinstitute Remain in Mexico, and I think we need to secure the border because the fentanyl is absolutely out of control. The two also discussed education and critical race theory in the classroom, as well as COVID-19 vaccine mandates in schools. DeSantis asserted his opposition to students being forced to get the jab and says as long as he's governor, he will not subcontract out parental rights. Charlie Chris wants to force students to get the COVID shot. Uh, we passed a bill to prevent that. He opposed the bill when we did it. I think this is a parent's decision. Uh, I think it's wrong to force this on these kids. And as long as I'm governor, as parents, you're going to have the ability to make that decision. Both candidates say they would support the death penalty for school shooters like the one in Parkland. Chris is currently trailing in the polls behind the incumbent governor. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. More on the midterms, the race for Nevada's U.S. Senate seat is shaping up to be one of the closest in the country. This as both candidates hope their messages on abortion, immigration, inflation, and public safety will tip the balance in their favor. And today's Daniel Monahan has more. The stakes for Democratic U.S. Senator Catherine Cortez Masto and Republican challenger Adam Laxalt are especially high. It's about our families. It's about every opportunity. It's about, you know, having that good job and have a roof over your head and be able to afford health care and all the challenges that, that face us. The winner could determine which party controls the Senate and the GOP considers Nevada one of its best opportunities to turn a blue seat into red. People are as upset as they've ever been with what's happening to America. They can't believe that Joe Biden and Kathy Cortez Masto have done this much damage to our great country and to our great state in just two short years. The race has become increasingly neck and neck in recent weeks with many polls showing the candidates just a percentage point or two apart. As election day draws near, both are continuing to follow the same campaign playbooks as their national parties. 
Laxalt has been focusing on the economy, while Cortez Masto has been rallying voters around threats to abortion access. Two years from now, you could be looking at a, a completely different state that is not going to be friendly to workers, not going to be friendly to women. You know, um, you really have to pay attention. Laxalt calls himself pro-life and has the endorsement of the National Right to Life Advocacy Group. However, his campaign has worked to keep the focus on issues like immigration and the economy rather than abortion. He has repeatedly cited rising gas prices and inflation as reasons voters should choose him over Cortez Masto. He believes in uh, everything Trump has tried to do when he was president, that Biden undid, and look what happened to the nation. It's just getting worse and worse. Both candidates have used their experience as former attorneys general to demonstrate their support for law enforcement. Laxalt has been endorsed by former President Trump and former President Barack Obama announced plans to rally for Cortez Masto and other Democratic incumbents in the state. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. On the topic of elections, we look at some challenges. The Republican National Committee has filed 73 lawsuits on election issues during the 2022 midterm election cycle. Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel says the 73rd lawsuit is against officials in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and that more will follow. The lawsuits come after widespread complaints about the security of the 2020 election, in which former President Donald Trump and his allies said there was significant fraud in key battleground states. In recent days, the committee has had some success in court. A New York judge recently struck down a law that would have added non-citizens to voter rolls. And a court also found that the Michigan Secretary of State updated an election manual without going through the correct rulemaking process. The move imposed new restrictions on poll reservers and challengers. And Illinois is set to implement the so-called Safety Act on January 1st. Proponents say this will create a fairer environment for all, but the mayor of a Chicago suburb says it's the most dangerous law he's ever seen. Let's take a look. The Safety Act is scheduled to take effect in Illinois on New Year's Day. The controversial bill includes a variety of topics. One of the main ones is ending cash bail for a variety of crimes such as second-degree murder, aggravated assault, kidnapping, arson, robbery, drug offenses, and intimidation. A suspect in such a case will only be detained if deemed a flight risk or risk to the public. Keith Peacaw is the mayor of Orland Park, a suburb of Chicago, and is running for Congress on Illinois' 6th District. He told Fox News this bill might create some type of anarchy in Illinois. You know, when I said uh, that this is the most dangerous law I've ever seen, I, I, I believe that. I believe this is very dangerous. I, I don't think we know what's coming from this. I think we can project that if criminals are allowed to run free and police officers can't protect citizens, citizens are going to start protecting themselves. He added that citizens have no training on how to de-escalate a dangerous situation and might often overreact in their response. Another consequence of the act is that trespassing will be changed from a Class A misdemeanor to a Class B misdemeanor. At the same time, the punishment for a Class B misdemeanor will be changed to only getting a citation. They can't put a hand on somebody. So, in other words, they can't remove a trespasser from someone's property. So now they get to stay on that property, in that business, on your, on your property, at, at your house, etc. On the other hand, Illinois government data says people who spend three days in jail are 2.5 times more likely to suffer from unemployment within a year. Because of that, proponents of the act say detention should be used in the most limited and targeted way since it might affect poor people more than wealthy ones. In other news, former Secretary of Defense Ashton Carter died of a heart attack on Monday night. Carter was former President Barack Obama's Secretary of Defense from 2014 through early 2017. 
He was also the director of the Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs at Harvard's Kennedy School. Carter leaves behind a wife and two kids. He was 68 years old. And now we're going to zoom in on some of the potential causes of the plummeting academic performance across the U.S. To learn more, we hear from the head of a social research nonprofit and advocate for human liberty. Joining us now is Jeffrey Tucker, the founder and president of the Brownstone Institute and the author of Liberty or Lockdown. So glad you could speak with us today, Jeffrey. Well, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. The New Nation's report card shows that U.S. students' math and reading scores have dropped several points from 2019. Do you think remote learning played a role in this? It absolutely did, and it was easily foreseeable from the spring of 2020 that there would be an enormous cost to all kids, especially poor kids, uh, from these closures. Robbing people of a physical in-person education was a, a disaster, and we're seeing the consequences now. And it wasn't just elementary uh, school kids, but high school kids who were robbed of uh, high school experience and college kids who paid so much money as, as freshmen. They got locked down, shoved into Zoom existence. Many countries in the world uh, let schools go on as normal, like Sweden did, and even Europe opened up a lot sooner than the U.S. So the policies this country embarked upon were a disaster and, as I say, easily foreseeable and it's not just educational losses. We're seeing uh, speech problems among children. Uh, the, the speech therapy classes are exploding. Uh, kids can't form vowels and consonants. Uh, math scores have dropped. It's, it's just a calamity. Jeffrey, I want to talk about the intersection of two things you touched on, policies and high school kids. Teachers unions have pushed for remote learning over the pandemic, but they've argued that some districts did not put in place safety protocols to keep students and teachers safe. So who bears the responsibility if remote learning is the cause of these reduced scores? Well, I would put, put the blame on public health bureaucrats, also teachers unions. I mean, once they got a taste of what it was like to get a full salary while, while uh, uh, never having to leave their homes. <laughs> they didn't really want to go back to classes, and the teachers' unions defended them in this, even though the costs were obvious. So the teachers' unions, but also the politicians should have been much more open about it. We need to open the, the schools. And the idea that safety was the great excuse, it's ridiculous. We now have complete infection fatality ratios from uh, from, from rates from, from that, from young children. And, and it's as close to zero as you can possibly ever imagine. The kids were never at risk. Of course, the kids are going to get sick. The question is, do they ever face medically significant risk? And the answer is no. You mentioned that this was foreseeable in hindsight. Now, when we look to the future, do you think the damage caused by these policies to American children can be reversed? And if so, what do you think is a good way forward? Uh, well, it will have to be reversed. A lot of people are leaving the public schools, and I understand why. They're adopting private schooling and homeschooling and various other methods. Uh, parents are going to have to get more involved in their kids' education now to make up for the lost time. As I said, a lot of kids are going to be in speech therapy, trying to make up for lost time. College kids are going to have to hit the books, learn things that they were denied learning. Uh, high school kids that were denied uh, sports are going to have to pick up sports. So we've got, we, really, we've got a massive amount of rebuilding to do, and it's only going to occur family by family. But even then, we'll never really make up for, for, for what happened. It, it was a calamity. The amount of child abuse 
for example, that happened a lot of times. These schools are the place where um, uh, where we police these things like like abusive homes and that sort of thing. That all just uh, went by the wayside. Uh, a large majority of kids just dropped out of school completely. Um, just the pre pretense and arrogance of the experts that, that they they thought they could do this with with no real great cost. Jeffrey, very interesting hearing your point of view. Jeffrey Tucker, founder and president of the Brownstone Institute, great speaking with you today. My pleasure, thank you. Coming up, the debate over how best to deal with crime is intensifying in the Houston area. The police department is partnering up with local residents in a new approach. Stay tuned for more in just a minute. popular messaging app WhatsApp stopped working for many people around the world last night. Users across India, the United Kingdom, South Africa, and Asia reported issues with sending and receiving texts and videos. A spokesperson for WhatsApp parent company Meta told users during the outage, quote, we're aware that some people are currently having trouble sending messages and we're working to restore WhatsApp for everyone as quickly as possible. Down Detector says more than 11,000 users across India reported an outage. In the United Kingdom, it was higher at 68,000 users. And 19,000 users in Singapore had trouble with the app. Down Detector tracks outages by gathering status reports from a number of sources, including user-submitted errors on its platform. But the outage may have affected a larger number of users. Meta brought, bought WhatsApp in 2014. It's a wildly popular app, especially outside of the U.S., where many people use it for everyday communication. Meta did not say what caused the outage. A family of five is breathing fresh air again after being trapped 200 feet underground at the Grand Canyon Caverns in Arizona. They got stuck in an underground hotel suite when the elevator broke down on Sunday. The only other way out was to climb 20 flights of stairs, but some of the family members have medical conditions that prevented them from doing so. Local officials rescued them last night. They didn't specify how the family was lifted up, but they did say all are in good condition. A website for the Grand Canyon Caverns says the site was created 65 million years ago and it is home to the largest dry caverns in the U.S. The caverns offer tours and host both underground and above ground hotel rooms. Police in Florida have released footage showing a 10-year-old girl fleeing a suspected abduction attempt. The video, which looks to be from a residence near the girl's school, shows her running down the sidewalk. Then a man believed to be the suspect can be seen rounding a corner and slowly following in the direction the child ran. He then turns back and leaves the area. According to Fort Lauderdale Police, this is the second time the suspect has tried to abduct the same child. The first time last Wednesday, as she was headed to school, he allegedly tried to lure her with candy, money, and other items, which she declined. He tried to grab her, and she ran. It happened again on Thursday, and again the girl got away, as seen in the footage. Authorities say the child reported both instances to school officials, but police didn't get a report until after the second incident. The suspect is described as a middle-aged white male with a black cargo van. Over in Houston, Texas, the police department is working with local residents to fight crime. This comes amid heated debate in local politics over crime. Here are the details. In recent months, the debate over how best to deal with crime and who has or hasn't done enough to combat it has intensified in the Houston area. The Houston Police Department is trying to take a multi-layered, holistic approach to crime that includes more officers, community involvement, and addressing underlying societal issues. 
the criminal justice process, the community is, is, is a part of it at its core. So if they're a part of it at the end, the very end, that's a trial, right, a jury of your peers, it's not unreasonable for them to be a part of it at the very beginning. So having the community not only lessen the, re, uh, lessen the probability of their property or themselves being a victim, it also helps us identify areas on where we need to allocate manpower. The police department sponsored in part a workshop that focuses on preventing crime with the help of community involvement. Residents who attended the workshop shared what their take is on crime. I believe it's gotten worse. Um, I know that firsthand because I was a victim about two months ago and the same crime continues to happen and so you know I'm hoping that this well this has helped me uh, to go back into my community and uh, talk to the residents there and see if we can come up with a plan to help the police help us. Another neighborhood volunteer says he sees this approach as a way to do his part to make his community safer and help police. Defunding the police. I'm not a proponent of defunding the police. I am a proponent of taking some of those funds and addressing social issues, uh, uh, mental health issues. If we deal with that on the front end, police don't have to get involved on the back end. In 2020, assault and murder increased 30 percent and 41 percent respectively in Harris County. And in 2021, they jumped 3% and 12% respectively. Convicted killer Scott Peterson is no longer on death row for the 2002 death of his wife and unborn child. He was removed from the notorious San Quentin State Prison in California and is now detained at a facility east of Sacramento. In August, attorneys argued whether or not Peterson deserves a new trial. Defense attorneys say that one of the jurors was biased and lied to become a juror for the trial. The jury then went on to convict Peterson in 2004 and sentenced him to death. The California Supreme Court overturned the death sentence in 2020. However, Peterson remained on death row at San Quentin until just recently. A judge is now deciding whether he can receive a new trial. And if you have dry shampoo, you might need to throw it out. A number of brands, including Dove, Nexus, Suave, TG, and Tresemme, have been recalled because of potentially elevated levels of a chemical called benzene, which can cause cancer. Unilever just issued a voluntary recall for a long list of products. To be clear, based on an independent health hazard evaluation, the level of benzene detected in these recalled products is not expected to cause adverse health issues, even with daily exposure, and Unilever hasn't gotten reports of any problems, but the company is recalling them out of an abundance of caution. You'll find a full list of what's been recalled on the FDA's website. And just ahead, Chinese leader Xi Jinping secured an unprecedented third term. How do foreign business groups react to the new leadership? A North Korean defector says America is headed down the same path as the communist dictatorship she escaped from. We'll have the details soon when we return. Welcome back. Xi Jinping's third term is underway and the change has had an immediate effect on China's economy and is raising concerns in Taiwan. Here's more. How are global investors reacting to China's new leadership team and Xi's third term? Confidence in China's economy seems to be plummeting. Some investors are dumping their Chinese assets, leading Hong Kong stocks to slide to 13-year lows on Monday. 
China's currency, the yuan, also fell to a nearly 15-year low. Foreign business groups in China expressed concerns about the change in Beijing's leadership. The American Chamber of Commerce in Shanghai said it was encouraged by the commitment to deepening reform in Xi Jinping's speech, but added it was also concerned that non-market tools could be counterproductive, like government subsidies for state-owned companies. This is also one of the main issues Washington has brought to the negotiation table with China. In a statement, the European Union Chamber of Commerce in China said it would take a wait-and-see approach. This, as the impacts of the Congress will likely not surface until March next year, when the new premier takes office. In China, premiers are normally in charge of the economy. The current Chinese Communist Party Secretary of Shanghai, Li Qiang, is expected to take on the role. Earlier this year, a two-month-long COVID-19 lockdown in the financial hub caused a lot of controversy. The extended shutdown also dealt a heavy blow to Shanghai's economy. China's selection of a new military leader is raising concerns, especially over Taiwan. One of the regime's newly promoted officials is He Weidong. He now serves as the vice chairman of Chinese military's top decision-making body, China's Central Military Commission. He's the former commander of the Chinese military's Eastern Theater Command. The army branch oversees the forces monitoring Taiwan. Alongside the new appointment, another official held on to his seat in the commission during the reshuffle. His name is Miao Hua. Miao spent over two decades of his career in China's Fujian province, located just across the strait from Taiwan. Over on the island, reporters asked Taiwan's defense minister if he was worried that a Chinese invasion may happen during his term. Here's Chiu's response. I've never been concerned about this, but we've been making preparations since I was in military school. No matter if China invades by 2027 or not, when we prepare for war, we're preparing for things that could happen in the next minute, the next hour. He emphasized Taiwan's military would defend itself. A North Korean defector warns Americans that cultural trends are leading the U.S. down the same path as North Korea. Entity's Angela Moy has the story. On October 21, the Heartland Institute awarded the Liberty Prize to Yeonmi Park. Park escaped starvation and oppression in North Korea at the age of 13. As a human rights activist, she urges Americans to protect their liberty from communist ideologies in the U.S. In North Korea, Children even eat mud. That's what true, true starvation and oppression looks like. Park thought her fight for freedom was over after fleeing from North Korea and surviving sex slavery in China. But she says her experience attending Columbia University in New York brought back memories of dictatorship. At Columbia, they say, I cannot say the word white because it's oppressive to some people. In North Korea, they did the exact same thing. They removed the word like human rights and freedom and free market. Park says the prevalent woke culture is a communist tactic to divide people. And the professor telling you that we need to stay woke because the enemies, the systemic oppression is everywhere. Exactly what North Korean regime does, making us paranoid, making people not trusting each other to divide people. Park says the socialist promise of equity is a false hope to resolve poverty. But people in America get so brainwashed to think somehow inequality is our enemy. Do you want to be dirt poor or at the same time and starving instead? It's a great thing that you can rise. There's a mobility 
in the social class. The enemy is poverty, not inequality. The audience at the award ceremony echoed Park's concerns. She is a canary in the coal mine for the future that all of us who value life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness uh, face if we do not wake up, realize that freedom is not free. And if we can't, can't talk about our differences, can't have different opinions, I mean, where does it go? <laughs> it's, it's very dangerous, very dangerous. Park says that Americans grew up with freedom, but many don't understand what it really means or what life looks like without it. She hopes her story will inspire Americans to preserve their liberty. Reporting by Angela Moy, NTD News, Chicago. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And still to come, we ask, who is Rishi Sunak, the UK's next prime minister, and how did he make it to the top? We'll dive into his past experience and what he's likely to bring to the country. Germany and other NATO countries are holding the Baltic Tiger exercises in Estonia. The training is designed to protect critical infrastructure in the region. We'll have more shortly here on NTD News Today. Outside Downing Street, Rishi Sunak delivered his first speech as Britain's new prime minister. He said he was not daunted by the challenges facing the country. I want to pay tribute to my predecessor, Liz Truss. She was not wrong to want to improve growth in this country. It is a noble aim, and I admired her restlessness to create change. But some mistakes were made. Not born of ill will or bad intentions. Quite the opposite, in fact. But mistakes nonetheless. And I have been elected as leader of my party and your prime minister, in part, to fix them. Sunak cited major problems like the economic chaos, the fallout from COVID, energy shortages, and government infighting. The country is also has a hole to fill in its public finances of about $45 billion. The new prime minister has pledged to lead the nation through these crises with economic stability and confidence at the center of his political agenda. Next, Sunak will start assembling his own cabinet. Some conservative lawmakers want him to include politicians from all wings of the party. Rishi Sunak is set to become UK's youngest prime minister in more than 200 years. He is tasked with steering the country through an economic crisis and mounting anger among some voters. Here's that story. It is the greatest privilege of my life to be able to serve the party I love and give back to the country I owe so much to. Who is Rishi Sunak, Britain's new prime minister? I am resigning. After Liz Truss's chaotic six weeks in charge. We have made mistakes. Boris Johnson's aborted comeback mission and Penny Mordaunt's failure to secure enough Tory backers. Rishi Sunak is there. 42-year-old Sunak is now at the helm of a country desperately in need of some stability. Let's take a look at how he got here. That means honesty and responsibility not fairy tales. Southampton-born Sunak is the UK's first Prime Minister of Indian descent. His family migrated to Britain in the 1960s, a period when many people from Britain's former colonies moved to the country to help it rebuild after the Second World War. Sunak attended the exclusive private school Winchester College. 
studied philosophy, politics and economics at Oxford University and then got an MBA from Stanford University. It was there he met his wife Akshata Murti, whose father is Indian billionaire Narayan Murti, founder of IT services giant Infosys. Before entering politics, Sunak worked as an analyst at Goldman Sachs and was later a partner at two hedge funds. He's thought to be one of the richest members of parliament and his wealth and private school background has come into focus during TV debates. Sunak was elected to parliament in 2015 and had a swift rise within the Conservative Party. He campaigned for leave in the EU referendum. By 2020, aged only 39, Sunak was named finance minister by Boris Johnson. Delighted to be appointed, lots to get on with. Thanks very much. Within weeks of becoming chancellor, Sunak found himself having to steer the UK economy as the COVID-19 pandemic began. I said I would do whatever it takes. He pledged to do whatever it takes to help people through the pandemic and developed a popular furlough scheme to support millions of people through multiple lockdowns. He was also behind the Eat Out to Help Out initiative to boost the struggling hospitality sector in summer 2020. That included waiting tables at a central London eatery. There we go. In April 2022, Sunak had to deal with the fallout of being fined by police for breaking lockdown rules in Downing Street in June 2020. In that same month, he and his family's finances came under intense scrutiny. It was revealed that his wife, who is an Indian citizen, had not been paying her British tax on her foreign income through her non-domiciled status. The status is available to foreign nationals who do not see Britain as their permanent home. She's always followed all the rules, paid all the tax in the UK that is due and paid tax internationally on her international investments. Uh, but she recognises this goes beyond just following those rules. The revelations hurt Sunak ahead of his race against Liz Truss. Sunak eventually resigned as Chancellor in July 2022, a move that contributed to the downfall of Johnson as Tory leader and Prime Minister. Baby. During the race to replace his former boss, Sunak lost out to Truss in the last leadership contest. While some choose to label the multi-millionaire as out of touch, others believe Sunak is the person to bring some calm to the economy. We need a return to traditional conservative economic values. After all, he was proven right in his warnings that Truss's fiscal plan threatened financial stability. Sunak has pledged to bring integrity, professionalism and accountability to government. But he has a mountain to climb to try to restore or renew the reputation of the Conservative Party following one of the most turbulent periods in British political history. Germany is wrapping up joint NATO exercises in Estonia to protect critical infrastructure. The training has been dubbed Baltic Tiger. The exercises started in early October involving Marines and airmen from Germany, Estonia, Britain, Denmark and Belgium. The training is focused on protecting critical infrastructure like ports and airports. Europe has raised awareness of protecting infrastructure after the Nord Stream pipelines burst last month, though the joint exercises were already planned before that. Since the war in Ukraine, NATO has been strengthening its presence on the eastern flank. Estonia shares a border with Russia of more than 180 miles. German officers said Russia has increased activity in international airspace, but has so far complied with international rules at sea in the Baltic Sea. 
HSBC named George L. Hedery as its new chief financial officer today. It's a surprise shift that puts the former head of its investment bank in prime position to succeed Noel Quinn as chief executive one day. The change came as HSBC reported a 42% slide in third quarter profits. Loan losses and charges from the sale of its French business have hit the company hard. This as it seeks to placate investors, including its largest, China's Ping'an Insurance Group. El Hedery's sudden elevation comes after the 48-year-old took a six-month sabbatical from HSBC in January. He cited a desire to travel with his family and explore personal interests. He is one of several Lebanese bankers to rise to the top ranks at HSBC, including his predecessor at the investment bank Samir Asif. Credit Suisse will have to pay the French state a fine of around $120 million and $115 million in damages. This to avoid legal proceedings in a tax fraud case. A legal agreement was approved on Monday by a judge in Paris. It's the result of two years of negotiations between French authorities and the Swiss bank. Credit Suisse had been in the sights of the prosecutor's office for several years. This from the alleged hiding of 2 billion euros in assets to help clients avoid paying taxes on their wealth from 2005 to 2012. Credit Suisse does not formally acknowledge guilt by concluding the legal agreement. However, the bank has agreed to pay 238 million euros to the public treasury to avoid the risk of a trial before the criminal court. And still to come, an antique nuclear bunker built in Bosnia during the Cold War becomes a wonder of art and a time capsule. And the tale of a monastery from medieval times, after seeing its fair share of ups and downs, the ruins were dug up in the 1990s. We'll take a look at how it saw more conflict and its current significance when we return. Good to have you back with us. Many bomb shelters were built in Bosnia during the Cold War. The most famous was built to host military and political leaders of former Yugoslavia, costing billions of dollars with all the necessary facilities and air conditioning. But now it serves more as a time capsule than a shelter. Let's take a look. For many people, this white house outside a town in southern Bosnia is nondescript. But it served as the entrance to one of the most famous bomb shelters built during the Cold War. The 6,500-square-meter underground fortress was built at a cost equivalent to four billion pounds. The facility was built to shelter up to 350 top military and political leaders of former Yugoslavia and stocked with supplies that would have enabled them to survive inside for six months in the case of a 25-kiloton nuclear blast. In terms of how it was constructed and the technologies installed inside, it truly was ahead of its time. The luxury shelter was built in complete secrecy over a 26-year period ending in 1979. Its existence was only known by the deceased former Yugoslav president Josip Broz Tito, four generals and a handful of soldiers who had been guarding it until 1992. This facility can withstand a 25-kiloton nuclear blast, but contemporary nuclear bombs are certainly a thousand times more powerful than the ones for protection against which it had been built. The shelter has a freshwater basin, a generator room with two 25-ton fuel tanks and an air conditioning system that keeps the temperature at a comfortable 21 degrees Celsius, as well as over 100 bedrooms, offices and conference rooms. 
It could still be used. In any case, it would offer a better protection. In case of a nuclear war, everything inside can still be restored. Air conditioning still works. It all could be used. It would certainly offer better protection than other nuclear bomb shelters in Bosnia and other ex-Yugoslav republics, but that would not be sufficient. Thousands of tourists have visited the shelter since it was turned in 2010 into a modern art gallery. But as the specter of a nuclear showdown is again haunting the world amid Russia's threat to use nuclear weapons in its war with Ukraine, they offer little reassurance. A monastery in Kosovo tells the tangled history of the region. Entity's Andrew Thomas has more on what it's been through and what it means to locals today. The Banska Monastery was originally built in 1313, but during the Ottoman rule over Serbia, the monastery estate was destroyed and its church was converted into a mosque. At the turn of the 20th century, the site was in poor condition. In the late 19th and early 20th century, according to the contemporary records pertaining to the Banska Monastery, the church was in ruins, while other parts of the medieval complex were buried under the ground and invisible. The ruins remained buried until 1990. Then the Banska Monastery re-emerged as an important archaeological site and was put under government protection. In the process of archaeological excavation, remains of nearly all parts of the monastery complex were found, and it was established that, at the time of its construction, it was the biggest monastery in Serbia. The place of worship was restored and returned to the Serb Orthodox Church. So far, most of the excavated remains were conserved. The plan is to fully complete the conservation work and then build an exhibition area to house the stone remains of the original structure and other archaeological material found on the site. But the story doesn't end there. In the 1990s, Kosovo was a northern province of Serbia in the Yugoslav Federation. But before the end of the decade, Yugoslavia disintegrated through a series of brutal inter-ethnic wars. A separatist conflict in Kosovo killed over 10,000 people and displaced a million others. The conflict eventually saw predominantly Muslim Kosovo break off from majority Christian Serbia. The Banska Monastery and others like it took on symbolic significance for Christian Serbs still living in Kosovo. Continued presence of Serb Orthodox Church here is very important because it is the guarantee of survival of Serbs in Kosovo. Serbia still does not recognize Kosovo's 2008 Declaration of Independence, but Kosovo is recognized by over 100 countries, including the United States and most European Union nations. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Swedish marine archaeologists have discovered the wreck of a 17th century warship outside Stockholm. According to the Stockholm Shipwreck Museum, the vessel, known as the Apple, was launched in 1629. It was constructed by the same shipyard that built the ship Vasa only one year earlier. Vasa was salvaged 60 years ago and is the world's best-preserved ship of the 17th century. The Apple sailed in the Swedish Navy for 30 years before sinking east of Stockholm, where it lay dormant on the ocean floor until it was spotted last December. The plan for the shipwreck is to leave it on the seabed where it will be best preserved. Its hull is being reconstructed with 3D modeling to display digitally in a museum. And coming up, educators in South Australia are looking at the additional learning needs of kids with autism, staffing at least one trained specialized teacher in each school. We'll have all that and more for you after this short break.
Throughout Australia, states have been supporting children with additional learning needs. South Australia is taking this one step further. It will staff each school with at least one teacher dedicated to students with autism. At Christie Downs Elementary School, a light burst of music replaced the original dismissal bell. The move has benefited students with additional needs, including nine-year-old Emma Silver. We have music and we usually have a song instead of like a ringing sound. So it's kind of a bit more better, it's a bit more fun, especially it won't like trigger anything. The fourth grader was struggling with autism and dyslexia. After two school changes, she finally found a place where she can both learn and thrive. Now she is no longer selectively silent or resistant to school. In a second and third grade class, 11 of the 18 children have learning difficulties. But extra support training and resources are making a huge difference. We've got such a, a harmonious class and the children all support each other, they lift each other up. Um, and they don't, they don't really see the difference. To them, this is just the normal, this is just the way people are. Like many other states, South Australia has developed new guidelines for teachers to support children with special needs. The plan is for more public schools to transition to this form of inclusive learning. Next year, every public elementary school will be staffed with a teacher dedicated to autism support. That's according to Emily Bork, the state's assistant minister for autism. I hope other states look to us and think, wow, this is an incredible difference that they're making because everyone deserves to be able to uh, reach the individual potential. That's just the first step in the attempt. If it's a success, the new teaching roles could be expanded to high schools. Kiwi fruit is recognizable worldwide and the humble skin hides the bounty within. The emerald fruit provides many health benefits. Here's Gina Marie with Strong Mind and Body. The kiwi fruit was originally discovered in China and used to be called the Chinese gooseberry. Mid last century, a Californian produce dealer likened it to the New Zealand national bird. The kiwi fruit packs its punch from the inside and is definitely worth adding to your diet if you want to improve your health. Among New Zealanders, the kiwi has always been valued for its capacity to move things along. It's a quick way to deal with bowel blockages. On the way through your system, it has many benefits to aid your overall health. Continuing the digestive theme, one study with participants suffering from irritable bowel syndrome benefited by eating three kiwis a day. They increased bowel frequency and reduced constipation as a result. When shopping for kiwis, aim for firm, unblemished fruit. They're ready to eat when they give to slight pressure but I like to ripen them for a few extra days. That ensures that they are super sweet. A one cup serving provides two and a half times the daily value of antioxidant vitamin C. Beating oranges, that's important in preventing cardiovascular disease cancer and obesity. Vitamin C helps in the formation of collagen that's necessary for teeth, gums, skin, ligaments, and tendons. Kiwis outweigh bananas in potassium, which is necessary for normal functioning of all cells, muscle function, and maintaining the potassium-sodium balance. Add other vitamins plus vitamin A for vision, folic acid for women hoping to become pregnant, and serotonin, a natural chemical with calming properties. So what's not to love about these fruits? According to a review of studies, kiwis should be considered part of a natural and effective health strategy. 
They can help to tackle some of the major health and wellness concerns. This includes digestive, immune and metabolic health. Kiwis are a great snack to have on the go. They'll also keep for up to four weeks in the fridge, so make sure you keep some on hand. After a four-year hiatus due to the COVID-19 pandemic, an international ballet festival in Cuba made its return to the stage last week. The festival is named after the Cuban dancer and choreographer Alicia Alonso. Dancers have described it as the gathering of the world's ballet performers and a breath of fresh air for both artists and the public. The event is normally held every two years since its inception in 1960. This year, it's taking place in theaters in the cities of Havana and Matanzas up until November 13th. The lineup includes performances by the National Dance Company of Spain, the Buenos Aires Ballet Group, and the National Company of Mexico. And with Halloween around the corner, New York's East Village hosted a unique celebration featuring hundreds of dogs dressed in costumes. Terriers, St. Bernards, Chihuahuas, Corgis, and many others strolled happily in their best holiday attire. Some sat on pumpkins, others wore elaborate costumes or baby clothes. Some owners even dressed up together with their pets to compete for best group costume. Other prizes included best costume in the show and best celebrity-themed costume. This parade originated in 2020, but was held online during the pandemic. The participants are happy to be outside this year. A partial solar eclipse dimmed the skies of Jerusalem today as the moon moved between the sun and the earth just enough to create a mesmerizing crescent sun effect. It was the second solar eclipse of 2022 and was also seen across Africa, Asia, and the Middle East. People were urged not to look directly at the sun during the eclipse without proper eyewear to avoid hurting their eyes. But cloudy weather in Jerusalem discouraged onlookers. The eclipse was seen at its best in Northeast Africa, the Middle East, Europe, and Western Asia because of the time zone difference. And that's all for today's program. We're really glad to have you with us. Please send us an email if you'd like to tell us something. We're going to put it on screen. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. I'm Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.